This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, absolutely, uh, we've said it before, miserable, but I can't, I was trying to come up with a bunch of D words, depressing, dark, dismal, dismal, deteriorating, deteriorating, (laughs) all the D words are bad words. Oh, they certainly are. Yeah. Anyway, it's like that out there now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that out there now. You bet. I was out there. uh, One of the engineers mentioned, you're not going out in that, are you? Lunch hour. I said, yep. So, I mean, I have, and people were commenting that I'm wearing my winter jacket today, but anything that keeps you warm away from the wetness of today, I will wear it. There's, we're into the W <laughs> words there now. Um, but yeah, warm is not the word that comes immediately no. to mind. It is uh, really yucky. Uh, and just imagine now, Claudette, uh, being out in this and not having anywhere to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of the tent city that's been labeled. I, I'm thinking of them now more so that it's front and center. You can't help but when it rains down like that to just automatically go there. Well, it's on everyone's mind, as you know. And uh, it's uh, also on uh, the people who we elect to the House of Assembly's mind. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But the provincial government today announced a five-point plan to increase the availability of affordable housing. There was a rally of sorts at Confederation Building today and perhaps this terrible weather kept the numbers down. They were all sort of huddled there by the door and rightly so. Uh, Well, here's Premier Andrew Fury on uh, government's announcement earlier today along with representatives of the province's construction industry. Our government embarked on a bold vision to reimagine and transform our province a little more than three years ago. We knew that we needed to make significant investments that drive meaningful action to improve the social and economic well-being of our communities and therefore the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. Access to safe, accessible and affordable housing has been a critical plank in that plan moving forward. Making housing more affordable for hard-working people in Newfoundland and Labrador is a key. We all know that our province is experiencing housing pressures just like every other province across our country. I talk about it with my fellow premiers all the time. In fact, it is a serious issue across all of Canada and, in fact, around the world. That is why I've been working on it for quite some time in partnership with other levels of government, municipalities, the federal government, industry and community partners and stakeholders. While Newfoundland and Labrador has some of the lowest rents and housing prices in Canada, that does not erode the housing challenges that we are experiencing right now. These challenges are real and impacting the social and economic health of all of our communities. There is no escaping the wide swath of complex issues that led to the pressures being experienced today. The largest and sustained growth in our population in 50 years record high immigration, the pressures of COVID-19, urbanization, an aging population who are staying in their family homes for longer, more individuals living by themselves, and sluggish housing starts linked to inflationary pressures, supply chain issues, and the fluctuating interest costs. 
through Newfoundland and Labrador Housing Corporation, we have made the largest annual investment ever in public housing with $140 million in budget 2023. Just this morning, we added another $3 million to repair and renovate almost 150 vacant housing, using, housing units so people can move in as soon as possible. More than 750 new public housing options have been advanced over the last two years. Through the Newfoundland and Labrador Housing Corporation, this province has seen more than 2,000 individuals and families access permanent housing over the past two years. Expansion completed or underway of 165 emergency shelter beds, 76 supportive housing units, and 12 second-stage housing units and shelter beds for women. We are also on track to create another 850 new housing options. All of this work is well underway, and we will start to see results soon. But today, I'm pleased to announce a new five-point plan to increase the availability of the housing, of housing that is more affordable throughout Newfoundland and Labrador. The spirit and intent of our plan is to stimulate new home construction, as well as stabilize or reduce housing prices. Quite simply, we need to get more houses built to meet the needs and demands of a growing and a changing population. We are going to achieve this goal by incentivizing the rapid construction of housing that is affordable and support the transition to new home ownership. Measure 1 was actioned last month when our advocacy to the federal government led to the removal of the GST, HST on new purpose rental builds. This could save developers hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on the size of their build and help to mitigate the uncertainty in changing interest rates. Measure two is the launch of a new low-interest financing program that will provide financing for property developers to assist in constructing purpose-built rental housing, including modular housing or converting non-residential buildings into purpose-built rentals. The third measure will see us provide government land and buildings for construction or conversion for purpose-built rental housing, including modular. We have already identified land in the metro region of St. John's and other urban areas where the demand is particularly high. Measure four is to launch a new home ownership assistance program. This program will target first-time home buyers with low to moderate incomes who qualify for a mortgage to access the required down payment to purchase a home. The program will also assist with closing costs of up to $1,500 to match the federal first-time home buyer's tax credit. Measure 5 will be a pilot project whereby homeowners will be able to access a forgivable loan of 50% of the cost of renovations up to a maximum of $40,000 over five years in order to convert, convert basements or other spaces in existing homes into apartment availability. Collectively, the targeted goal of these measures will result in upwards of 500 new housing options at a cost of more than $65 million. So that's some of what the Premier had to say this morning for this uh, five-point uh, plan. Uh, well, the province's housing crisis was front and centre in the House of Assembly this afternoon, here's a fiery exchange between NDP leader Jim Din and Minister of Justice and Public Safety John Hogan. The Honourable, the leader of the third party. Actually, actually, Mr. Speaker, those demands were 
sent to the Minister of Children, Seniors and Social Development. In writing. In writing. And I haven't yet received an answer from the Order, please. Order, please. Take your seat, please. Thank you. The Honourable the Leader of the Third Party. Thank you. What's the use of giving something if it's not responded to? Yeah. The provincial coordinator of the Transition Housing Association said in a recent interview that the Liberal government is not focused on people who need it most, the vulnerable, the housing insecure, or the poor of our province. Will the Premier admit that today's housing announcement is actually about salvaging his tattered political reputation rather than about helping those who find themselves homeless or in danger of being homeless? And by the way, Speaker, one day over there doesn't. I've been over there every day. The Honourable the Minister of Justice and Public Safety. Speaker, and I would say to the member opposite, you ask the people who are now in shelters and are now in homes if providing that information to members of government and to members uh, who work in housing in this, in this government, if it helps to provide that information. Because they provided that information to me, I provided that information to the departments here, and they now have a warm roof over their heads. So it does help. Don't hold on to that information. If you know someone that needs a shelter, you let the minister know. I have a question period has expired. So that's a little exchange between uh, Jim Din and Minister of Justice and Public Safety John Hogan, uh, who accused Din of holding back on some information that had been provided to him by people living in that grassy area across from Confederation Building. And uh, Jim Din said, well, you know, I may not have uh, supplied it to you, but I certainly supplied it in writing to the Minister of Children, uh, Seniors and Social Development. Well, coming up, the Minister of Health responds to concerns raised over rates for unsubsidized residents of personal care homes. This is News Talk on VOCM. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we're back. And you know on a day like today, you're going to be watching out for a water buildup on the road. You're going to be watching out for reduced visibility. And you're going to be watching out for steel barrels. Steel barrels. Yeah, there's one. Apparently, we just had a gentleman call in who was traveling on the Outer Ring Road and said there's a large steel barrel on the Outer Ring Road in the left-hand eastbound lane at the Topsail Road turnoff. Oh, boy. Yeah. I hope that gets cleared off the road soon. And who would, you know, would like to think somebody's listening and can get that taken care of for sure. Yeah, so where is it again? Okay, so it's on the Outer Ring Road, uh, eastbound, in the left-hand lane at the Topsail Road turnoff at the Topsail Road exit. All right, so that is a significant hazard. It uh, is. Please yep. be aware of that. A steel barrel in the middle of the road on the Outer Ring Road, eastbound in the left lane near the Topsail Road Tur turnoff. Yep. All right. Thank you, Claudette. Hopefully uh, that gets cleared away real soon. Well, um, you, if you were listening to our show on Friday, you heard from Michelle Williams, who raised some pretty serious concerns about um, the plight that her mother is facing now uh, in a personal care home in the Paradise area. The Minister of Health is responding to the concerns raised by families after the province increased the subsidy rate provided to personal care homes in the province. Uh, Michelle Williams says her mother had only been in the home for two weeks when the family was notified that her mother's rate, uh, monthly rate, was increasing significantly. Williams' mother, who requires level two care, is not subsidized because she doesn't meet the income threshold, which means she has to pay more. Here's some of what she said to us on Friday. 
where the issue arises is that in order for the personal care homes to access this funding, they have to increase their monthly cost for residents. So if you're subsidized, basically there's no impact. The monthly cost is increasing, but so is the government subsidy. That said, if you are unsubsidized, as is the case with my mother, if you your monthly income is $3,001 or over, you do not qualify for the subsidy, and you have to pay the additional, not only is the additional $457 a month out of pocket, but you're paying the full cost out of pocket. So that's a little bit of what she had to say. Well, Health Minister Tom Osborne joins me now. Hello, Minister Osborne. Hello. Nice to be on your show. Thank you. Yes, no trouble. So we've heard from a number of uh, family members uh, who are quite upset with the new subsidy program. They're not so upset with the subsidy itself, but they are upset with the fact that people who are not subsidized are uh, now having to pay quite a bit of extra money out of pocket in order to um, continue to live in their long-term or personal care home setting. Um, So how does the government address that what's your response well i mean the the personal care homes are our private uh, industry we are um as government we are responsible for the subsidy we provide for um clients who are subsidized who have beds in personal care homes uh, so there had not been an increase uh, deloitte had done a report uh, identifying that the government subsidy should increase because of inflationary pressures, wage increases, um, and so on to the personal care homes. Uh, the subsidy provided by government uh, for individuals in a government-sponsored, government-subsidized beds is what we've increased. Uh, the amount that uh, personal care homes um, charge their uh, private-paying customers is entirely up to the personal care home. And I am aware of um, uh, personal care homes who have not automatically increased the amount to private pay, um, are working with uh, individuals who have private pay. Um, Some of those individuals may very well qualify now for subsidy uh, because of uh, the increased uh, subsidization by government of, of the subsidy beds. Um, so some individuals will qualify for a subsidy. There'll be more individuals receiving a subsidy now uh, based on the amount that government is providing for the subsidized beds. But I am uh, aware that there are personal care homes that are working with individuals and you know gradually increasing rates as opposed to just matching what government is providing in terms of government subsidized beds. Is there a fear, though, that, um, you know, in introducing this program and dealing with a, a very serious issue that another one has now been created? Well, one of the discussions we had with the personal care home associations when we were talking about these uh, increasing the subsidy, because, you know, the subsidy had to increase or these homes um, were no longer viable um, in terms of, of the government subsidized rates. Uh, in in terms of uh, ensuring that staff received a a rate of pay uh, that uh, respects and recognizes the work they do, um, Deloitte had looked at uh, 
these issues and made a recommendation in terms of the government subsidised beds. But the discussion that was had was that these rate increases were for the government subsidised beds only, uh, that the personal care home operators, uh, you know, it, it is their discretion what they charge their private paying customers. Uh, so that was part of the discussion um, when we followed the recommendations in the Deloitte report um, and uh, provided the increase to the personal care homes. What's your response to the fact that some of these seniors, and I mean, uh, sometimes the, uh, the difference between uh, qualifying for a subsidized rate and not qualifying for a subsidized rate is very minimal. Uh, what's your response to the fact that some of these seniors are now getting charged out of pocket uh, four to $500 extra every month? Well, I think, you know, that the obligation of government to provide an increased subsidy uh, was there. Um, the increase, the, there has not been an increase in the subsidy provided by government since 2017. Um, I do um, like the fact that uh, some of the personal care homes are working with clients, um, putting, um, increasing uh, the rates on a, um, you know, a, a longer-term basis, uh, you know, not simply increasing the rates to what government is subsidizing a bed. Um, it is concerning uh, that uh, some of the homes had increased the rate at such a dramatic rate to private pay customers. Um, the, you know, the, the majority of beds in personal care homes are government-subsidized beds. Uh, the increase in the government subsidy uh, was to ensure that the homes were viable uh, it is the discretion of the personal care home owner and operator uh, to uh, charge the private pay customers. Um, we certainly would like to see um, personal care home operators work with private pay customers um, to you know, gradually look at increasing rates. Um, but certainly we would like the personal care home operators to work with clients based on the new government subsidies to determine which of the um, the residents would now qualify for a subsidy. Some residents will actually be better off because they will qualify for a subsidy where previously they had not. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, it's our preference that uh, the personal care homes would work with uh, their private paying customers to uh, ensure that, you know, there's not the shock of an immediate uh, and, and uh, a large increase. Minister Tom Osborne, I appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you kindly. So that's what uh, the minister had to say on uh, an issue raised on the, this show on Friday. Not only this show, but on Open Line as well. Uh, we heard from family members who were shocked when their uh, loved ones suddenly saw, uh, got a, received a note, slipped under their door, according to our callers, um, is indicating that they're going to have to pay um, some 400 plus dollars a month extra uh, a month.
So uh, a big shock uh, to say the least. Well, more than a million people have now fled their homes in the Gaza Strip ahead of an unexpected Israeli invasion that seeks to eliminate Hamas's leadership after its deadly incursion. Aid, aid groups warn an Israeli ground offensive could hasten a humanitarian crisis. Israeli forces supported by U.S. warships positioned themselves along Gaza's border and drilled for what Israel said would be a broad campaign to dismantle the militant group. A week of blistering airstrikes have demolished neighborhoods but failed to stop militant rocket fire into Israel. The war that began on October the 7th has become the deadliest of the five Gaza wars for both sides with more than 4,000 dead. The Gaza Health Ministry said 2,750 Palestinians have been killed and 9,700 wounded. More than 1,400 Israelis have been killed and at least 199 others, including children, were captured by Hamas and taken to Gaza, according to Israel. Currently, there is a shortage of potable water, which continues across Gaza, leading humanitarian workers to warn of the risk of disease from drinking uh, untreated water. Um, doctors are overwhelmed at the territory's largest hospital as they struggle to care for patients as supplies of water, fuel, and medicine run dangerously low. Trucks carrying aid have been waiting for days at the Rafah crossing between Egypt and Gaza. Israel has yet to decide whether they can enter Gaza, but I understand that some of those people are moving now or will be in the next short while. And U.S. President Joe Biden is considering a trip to Israel in the coming days, although no travel plans have been confirmed. So just some of the updates uh, coming out of the war in um, uh, Israel and Gaza. Well, We'll have a little bit more on that and the perspective of a former MP and longtime advocate for human rights, Erwin uh, Kotler. Uh, we'll hear from him. And when we come back after the break, Shehishi officially opens and dedicates its new search and rescue center. This is News Talk on VOCM. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 5.45 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, a former MP and longtime advocate for human rights is stepping down as Canada's special envoy on preserving Holocaust remembrance. The Prime Minister's office today announced that Ambassador Deborah Lyons has been appointed to replace Erwin Kotler, who held the position for the last three years. Kotler made an impassioned plea about continuing to fight anti-Semitism, especially at this very difficult time in history, and called Lyons the right person at the right time. Kotler was in Israel for his son's wedding when the attacks occurred. He calls October 7th one of the worst days in Jewish history since the Holocaust. Here's some of what he said this morning. We meet in the shadow of October 7th, one of the worst days, if not the worst days in Jewish history since the Holocaust. And I don't use these words lightly or easily. A day of mass atrocity whose scale and scope of pure evil, as U.S. President Biden called, is almost unfathomable. A day of mass atrocity anchored in anti-Semitism, the oldest, longest, most enduring, most toxic, and as we have seen, most lethal 
of hatreds. As it happens, I was in Jerusalem on that fateful day, Saturday, October 7th. My family and I were uh, in Israel to celebrate uh, the wedding of our son, which had taken place a week earlier. And that Saturday, October 7th, as we awakened, was supposed to be a particularly festive Jewish Sabbath. It was the last day of Sukkot, which is a unique Jewish holiday, a Jewish thanksgiving, a holiday that commemorates the forging of the Jewish people after the exodus from Egypt, and also a holiday that commemorates our common humanity, our mutual obligations to each other. In the same synagogue where we had celebrated my son's marriage the week before, we had a wonderful celebration on the eve of Simchat Torah. And so I awoke with my family on Saturday, October 7th, to go to the synagogue to celebrate all this. But as we were about to depart for the synagogue, the air raid sirens began to blare across Jerusalem. It foreshadowed what was to be a day of mass atrocities. We have to work together in common cause because in combating anti-Semitism, we are protecting our democracy. We are protecting our individual and collective human rights. We are protecting our individual and collective human dignity, just as in combating all forms of hate, whether they be against indigenous people, blacks, people of color, Muslim, Asian Canadians, and the like. We are protecting our common values. We give expression to Canadians as being the people of the charter in the age of the charter, in our commitment to human rights and human dignity. And so I'll close by saying that I actually end in an optimistic note, and I'll tell you why. Because whatever 2023 may be, whatever October 7th, 2023 was, and I experienced it up close, and the horrors of it have really embedded themselves not only in my memory, but in my being. Like many others, I lost close friends on that day, and the suffering won't go away. But whatever 2023 is, it is not 1943. So that is some of what Erwin Kotler had to say today. He is uh, stepping down as Canada's special envoy on preserving Holocaust remembrance. And uh, the Prime Minister's office today announced that uh, Ambassador Deborah Lyons will be taking a, a up where uh, Erwin Kotler um, left off. So um, he had some very powerful things to say. We're going to play a little bit more of that in our morning show uh, tomorrow, some of the other things he was uh, saying about anti-Semitism and the, um, uh, I guess, the need to um, preserve um, human rights. Well, the Inu Nation has a new search and rescue station. A, an official opening ceremony took place in Shahaji this morning. I've seen some of the pictures. They're absolutely gorgeous. Well, Inu Nation search and rescue liaison Jean-Paul Panachoué joins me now.
Well, hello, Jean-Paul Panachaway. Uh, hello, thanks for having me. Linda. Yeah, no trouble. So tell us what happened in Shahaji today. Uh, today was our official grand opening and naming of our uh, brand new facility, uh, uh, Search and Rescue Building for Shahaji, right? So what's the name on her? Uh, actually, we named it after one of our, uh, I don't know how to say this, one of our uh, members uh, who have moved, passed on, and which happened to be uh, Jack Andrew's son, Isaiah Andrew, is that the name of our building? Isaiah Andrew Memorial Building. So that must have been emotional. It was, it was, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it was very emotional because I knew Isaiah very, very close, right? I mean, I, well, I, I literally watched the, the kid grow up, right? Because I was friends with Jack Andrew, the other guy that uh, I started the search and rescue with. Emotional indeed. So what will this new building mean now for the people of Shehaji and indeed the entire Lake Melville area? This, you know, this will mean there'll be a faster response time, more equipment that, you know, and put in one place because before we had no stores. Our equipment was literally in people's, you know, trailers, sheds, because we had so much, right? So now it's in one spot. Everything's in one spot and faster response time, for sure. Fantastic. So uh, it'll be able to house, I would imagine, some of your vehicles as well? Yes, it is. right now it's housing uh, our 28-foot silver dolphin that was uh, donated to or funded through uh, the Coast Guard, right? right? And we have we we also have three skidoos, three scandic, uh, three scandics, right? And then uh, a side by side, so we can all have it in one facility now, which is very very nice, right? Yeah, because I would imagine it incorporates land and water rescue. Oh yes, we do. Uh, we do water and land. And, uh, actually, I think we're the, like you know one of the few that do both, right? We work with the GSAR and the uh, Coast Guard, right? How many volunteers have you got? Committed volunteers right now, I'd say we have uh, fifteen. But when 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 the, when we need it, like the, this community has 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 you know surprised me in the past you know we've had up to 100 searches at sometimes you know it's crazy how this community comes together when it when it's when 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 there is crisis and hopefully you won't need to use any of that equipment but do you do you get calls very often our calls are very very high like the seven, on average we get about 70 calls a year our highest i think was about 100 and 70% of our calls are suicide-related. So we have to, you know, I wanted to express that, how, how you know, it's a touchy subject for us, and, you know, but, you know, it, someone has to do it, right? Someone indeed. Is, is it hard on, on the volunteers? It's extremely hard, you know. Nine times, nine times out of ten, you'll, when the team goes out, they'll know that person you know, personally or family member, right? Tough for sure. But uh, so it, it, it's good, though, to see this this kind of building coming together finally. Yes, you know, it was long, about eight years in the works since we started. Me and Jack Andrew started this, you know, with just basically nothing. And then 
It's amazing what what it has evolved, how it has evolved. You know, now we're we're one of the, you know, one of the biggest, the biggest teams in Labrador. Just amazing, John Paul. Uh, what does it feel like to you to know that this has come to this point, to this fruition, to see, you know, the work that you and and your friends started to to get it to this point? Uh, you know, it's, it's I, we we did this expecting nothing. You know, we did this because it was needed. We saw we saw that it was it was needed, and we were committed, and it's. it's it's, 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 I'm just relieved, you know. It's, it was a mo- it was a very emotional day, as you, you know, as Isaiah. Everyone knew Isaiah. He was he was one of the original members from when we started eight years ago. So, yeah, everyone's happy today. Well, I hope as Isaiah is shining down on you now, it's smiling. <laughs> yeah, he was on my mind all day. It's, 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 you know, greatly missed. Great guy. John Paul, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for calling and, you know, appreciate talking to us. That is uh, Inu Nation Search and Rescue Liaison, Jean-Paul Panachaway, about their new search and rescue station. And you'll see the pictures up on vocm.com uh, very soon. Well, another Cape to Cabot race is in the books. We'll speak with the race director when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, uh, Claudette, you're a bit of a runner. Yeah, I'd like to do it just as a as a hobby, but I'm really not as dedicated as these people who ran yesterday. <laughs> Have you done Cape to Cabin? No, you know what? No, I've contemplated training a little bit for it, but my only goal, running goals, were to do the Tele 10, which I did. Um, it hasn't been on my bucket list because I think it's one of the hardest ones in North America, and I know so many people that do it year after year and say that it is their favorite uh, run um, over any other run um, because of just the beauty and the camaraderie. But for me, it's the, the difficulty. Hills. The difficulty, and it's not just going up the hills. Going down hills is equally as hard, and and it's really bad. I'm sounding my my age now, but your joints, like I just can't imagine how hard it would be. The training itself is difficult. So I'm just in awe of anybody who completes that race. For sure, and uh, indeed, it's one of the tougher ones. But it does get an awful lot of attention. It does. And, uh, now that COVID is behind us, I think the numbers are coming up again well anyway um we'll have a chat now with uh guy basley he's the race director with uh, cape to cabot which uh wrapped up another successful year yesterday he joins me now well guy it's a good thing uh the cape to cabot didn't take place today <laughs> absolutely we were uh, we were very fortunate uh, this year in uh, being able to uh, Pick the one one good day of the week to uh, to have the race. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be lucky lucky in in similar ways in the future. So, how many runners came out? Yes, we had uh, four hundred and forty two register, and uh, so our numbers are getting back to 
where they were uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, we do cap the race at 500, and uh, historically, uh, we sell out at that at that level. Uh, last year, uh, we were at 370, I believe. This year, uh, 442. So, fingers crossed, next year we'll uh, we'll be at our uh, our 500 cap. And do you get a lot of um, interest? I mean, outside of the local running community, do do runners uh, across Canada and around the world uh, watch Cape to Cabot and try to participate? Yes, absolutely. We uh, we do have uh, a handful of people that uh, that uh, use this as a, a destination event. Uh, we've we had a number of people from uh, across Canada this year, and uh, we even had one guy here from uh, Serbia. So uh, it's a, it's a long way to travel to uh, to run a race. I don't have his complete story. Uh, he may have been uh, involved with some work activity here or something, but he he is from Serbia. Oh, that's fabulous! So, what makes Cape to Cabot so different? Well, it's it's a unique uh, race. Uh, the hills obviously are uh, are a big draw. Go figure. But some people <laughs> do enjoy that sort of challenge, um, and it's it's unique as well in that uh, it, it starts at one uh, Parks Canada National Historic Site and finishes at another one. And on a good day, as as it was yesterday, uh, at the the Cape start line you can look across and actually see your 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 destination cabot tower uh, across the water there so uh, it's it's unique in that perspective um the uh, there's a lot of support along the course uh, we had seven seven bands uh, entertainers providing uh, encouragement to the uh, to the runners and uh, yeah everybody uh, has a blast uh, we even had one lady uh, uh, finished the course yesterday in two hours and 20 minutes. Uh, she's 85 years old. Just amazing. So is there a difference in, in training for a race like Cape to Cabot? Uh, yes. Um, it, it's important to uh, incorporate a, a number of hills in your training. And uh, m- most importantly, a lot of people think uh, uh, the downhill is easier part but the downhill downhill is is uh, is is punishing as well and uh, you need to uh, you need to do uh, a lot of downhill running in your training because you're using uh, different uh, different muscles and a little punishing on the joints i would imagine do you have to alter your footwear for a race like this and uh, no, most people uh, um, would uh, would use what what they use say for the telly uh, it's just not a it's not a trail running course, so uh, uh, yeah, regular uh, uh, running shoes that you would use uh, on an ongoing basis would be what most people would uh, would choose. So uh, you know, everybody looks forward to uh, I guess being the first. Uh, so how did we do? How did we do? Uh, we had I'm just looking up the results here now. Um, and I 
don't have that in front of me. I apologize for that. Oh, that's fine. Ben Collingwood and Ann Johnson, top male and female finishers, I understand. Uh, Collingwood, one fifteen twenty, and uh, Johnson, one twenty three fifty seven. Those are some pretty impressive times. Yes, correct. The uh, the course record is an hour twelve, I believe. So uh, uh, Ben uh, Ben. Uh, Got a little close to that, but not that's not quite not quite enough. And of course, a few other notable finishers: Michael Daw, who uh, is fighting cancer, one forty six twenty one, and eighty five year old Florence Barron, who participates in gosh, just about every race I think I've heard about in recent years, uh, finished at two twenty twenty five. Just amazing. Yes, and uh, um, she's a, she's an inspiration to uh, to to everyone. Uh, and at the awards reception yesterday, uh, she uh, she got a, a standing ovation that uh, went on for quite some time. And uh, with respect to uh, Mike Daw, his uh, his parents were fortunate enough to get uh, to get out to the uh, finish line uh, yesterday and, uh, and, and see him finish and uh, congratulate, him, congratulate him afterwards. What goes into planning for an event like this? Are you starting the planning already for next year? Uh, we're, yeah, we, it's, it's, it's quite a process and um, most of the work begins Probably March, April of, of next year. Uh, you know, we've got to get medals ordered and shirts ordered and various various uh, housekeeping chores looked after. But uh, yeah, we're we're already compiling uh, from from this year's race uh, uh, notes and suggestions uh, to uh, to help improve it and make uh, uh, setting it up a little uh, a little easier. There's always a, always feedback, and uh, we welcome any, of course. Um, so uh, we're, we're open to that uh, as well. Guy Baisley, I really appreciate your time, and congratulations to all the runners that took part in uh, Cape to Cabot this weekend. Yes, and uh, I'd just like to say, uh, you know, I'm 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 a very uh, small part in this in this picture. I have a very uh, strong uh, committee. 16 members on the committee and uh, they're all very dedicated and hardworking and uh, hats off to them. Thank you so much. All right. So that's Guy Baisley, race director with uh, Cape to Cabot and Florence Barron, 85 years old, coming in at, uh, I think it was two hours, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she shaved a full minute off her time. Just imagine. From, from last year. And she didn't start racing until she was 59. There's hope for us yet. There still is hope. You know, after hearing that interview and then just reading stories about Florence, kind of makes you want to just do it just just at least be part of the fun and, and the memory making on that day i mean i how i'd like to know how she does it she literally if you've ever seen her run she floats she floats as if she's a butterfly like she just it looks like nothing fizzes her and she was able to do that strenuous race i mean she certainly is someone to be admired by well i mean you know i would dare say that the vast majority of people can't climb a signal hill walking let alone run up it at the end at of the a race. end at the end yeah, do they yeah. end at at, Ka at cabot top. tower or do they end at 
the end at, uh, at Cabot Tower. Wow. So, you know, and it's interesting how, you know, how, they, how we said that they have bands and they have like people motivating you along that. I think everybody is different because for me, I think everything would get on my nerves <laughs> after a certain point. I don't think I'd want to see anyone and I would I just want someone to keep dumping water over my head. But everybody's different. It always looks so extreme, though, doesn't it? When it you does. see people going splash. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's like, hey, wait a minute. You just assaulted me. But no, it's welcome, is it? Uh, well, it is if you ask for it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the big difference. <laughs> well, maybe next year, Claudette, maybe next year. And uh, well done, all the participants in the Cape to Cabot. I don't envy you, not one bit. Well, actually, I do. I, I, am, I have a great deal of respect for each and every one of you. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening.